Well, good morning. Welcome to Press Church. So good to be with you today. My name is Sean Lee, and I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, for those joining us for the first time, we're so glad that you are with us. And for those watching us online, I hope you're doing well today. Uh, just a quick uh, announcement on the screens. You will see a QR code. Through this QR code, there's a ton of stuff you can do. You can sign up to give, volunteer, get baptized, all different sorts of things. If you are new with us today, there's a link that says, I'm new. If you click on that and fill it out, not only will we donate $5 to a local partner, we'll let you know that we're praying for you and glad that you're here with us. So that's one way you can connect with us. We'd love for you to do that and yeah, let us know you're here. Um, before I jump into the series today, the message for today, first I wanted to thank everybody. If you were a part of the financial gift to the pastors last week, that was very unexpected and very thoughtful, and we appreciate that so much. So I wanted to make sure to thank everybody who uh, gave to that. Um, that, was, that was very thoughtful, very nice, and we definitely appreciate that. Uh, and with that, too, I mentioned last week, if you were here with us in November and December, we launched a thing called the Go Campaign. And with the Go campaign, we asked everybody to pray about giving one month extra of giving. So basically, instead of giving 12 months of giving, it's almost like giving a 13th month um, for us to close our budget gap and also for us to fund some of the things that we'd like to see here in 2023. And so we wanted to update you guys with all the numbers, really even financially from last year right now. And so the first off, I'd like to say the Go campaign, we raised $17,000 through the Go campaign. Let's give... Uh, because of your generous support, uh, just with the Go campaign, we were able to, uh, to bring in $17,000. That's awesome. Uh, and what's really cool about this, um, we were able to, I don't know if you remember, back in September we had um, a series that we were talking about generosity. It was a generosity series. And we mentioned about four different areas that we would like to fund over this next year. Um, one of those things was the parking lot. We had somebody donate $15,000 for us to renovate, the, the, fix the parking lot. And that, so that was paid for, that was awesome. On top of that, because of your giving, we had about $15,000 in launch debt from us launching the church. Um, because of your guys' support, we've been able to pay off our launch debt. So we now, the only debt we have as a church is the mortgage for this building. So that's awesome, we can celebrate that, that's great. <laughs> Um, but the next thing I want to share with you guys is our overall just giving for the year. Just general giving last year was $260,216. Um, that's just regular giving uh, from, from you, from people watching, from you here who call Press Church home. And so we want to thank you for that. Now, with the Go campaign and with general giving, on top of that, there was other gifts that came in. Um, throughout the year, we've had some random gifts. And even at the end of the year, we had some other large gifts that came in. Um, and so we want to give you our total giving uh, for this last year was 357,141, which is amazing. Uh, it's absolutely amazing. And so we wanted to thank you as a church um, for the money that you guys have donated and given um, to time everything. But we just wanted to celebrate. I mean, that's that's pretty incredible, um, and we wanted to thank you all. Uh, I think when, whenever you're a part of something like this, we want to make sure that you're not giving out of guilt or you're not giving out of, like, I have to do this, but you're giving to something. 
you're giving to an organization that's making a difference, is doing things. And so we hope that over this next year, we'll be able to steward that money well, that we'll be able to use that money to connect to more people, uh, to make this experience better for you and for everybody who's a part of Press Church. So let's just give a round of applause for everybody. We so appreciate uh, your generosity and everything you're doing. And again, we just pray for God's wisdom as we move into this new year. Uh, that we can get more people here, more people hear about the gospel, and more people's lives are changed because of the message of Jesus. And speaking of the message of Jesus, the red letters. If you read in scripture, uh, specifically the New Testament, and depending on what translation you're reading, you will come across red letters. You will come across, you know, the section where all of a sudden it's like, why are the letters red now? When you see that, those are the words of Jesus. Whenever Jesus spoke, those are actually the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples or people around him. And so in the Gospels, you'll see that. You'll see uh, sections that are just red letters. And this is that, the whole series is about this. We're looking at the words of Jesus. What did he say? What did he say to us? Who did he say it to? And what can we learn from the words that Jesus spoke? And so this week, the pastors, we hopped in the car, and we started talking about the red letters. So let's take a look at the video for this week. First video of the year, guys. We're back. It's a new year. New year, new you. No. 2023. I'm still the same. Year. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I feel like we're all different this year than we were at the beginning of last year. Oh, sure. Well, yeah, <laughs> some level. 365 days older. <laughs> Winning at life. Yeah, the, the good resolutions right there. So, yeah, we're, we're talking about these words of Jesus. Yeah. They should... Uh, they should impact us. Yeah. I do think it's interesting. Maybe it's a rabbit trail, but... You know, a lot of people read the words of Jesus, but they read it through the lens of Paul. Mm. They, they try to take the letters of Paul and think those are really the foundational theological treatises. Mm. And then they read what Jesus said like through the, that lens. Right. They try to make them work instead of flipping that script right. and okay. saying, okay, let's read the words of Paul through the lens of yeah, what yeah. Jesus said. Yeah. And I mean, I just, I wonder how that would change the way we view well, right, right, some yeah. things. Yeah. Well, I often say that uh, in the West, we are more Paulstians than Christians. That's true. <laughs> yeah. I, I would affirm that. Right. So there's a big group of people that, like, don't even, they're like, Paul? Wait, <laughs> yeah. what? Paul? Uh, there, there's a lot of people who, they'll say, okay, Jesus was a good guy. Um, may think he was a prophet. Um. And he just, he wanted to do good, you know? He had good words, so we should, you know, when someone says Wise something... Teacher. When someone says something good, we should we should listen to that. Um, but how do we know it's good? Well, and that's the thing. There's things that Jesus said that at face value don't look like good things. Yeah. <laughs> like, some of the things Jesus says is like, wait, you said that? Right. Are you allowed to say that? Like, yeah. what, what? And why do you think that is, Sean? <laughs> why do you think Jesus said those things in that way? <laughs> what do you think? Uh, yeah. I think it's less about why he would do that. And most people don't ask as much why he would do that. They try to, like, find a way to make it so it makes sense in a... Uh, in a comfortable way. They sanitize it. Yeah, they'll try to san they'll try to sanitize it or make it make sense in a comfortable way, less than actually working to through what it actually means. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, 
if, he, if Jesus said something hard, it's like, oh, well, he couldn't, he couldn't mean that. That's what I always find interesting about the rich young ruler piece, because here's this guy who's saying, I did all these things, I followed I was, everything. I was, I was perfect. perfect. I was perfect, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, what else do I need to do, yeah. right? And, <laughs> you know, he keeps engaging Jesus. Jesus keeps coming back to him yeah. and throwing things at him. And then finally he says, you know, sell all you have and yeah. give to the poor. And, <laughs> and he's sad. <laughs> and he walks away sad. Yeah. Then I'm kind of like, well, you know, I would have liked one little more piece there <laughs> where he goes, what if I can't do that? Right. Mm. What, what if I, yeah. what if I can't do that? Why didn't he keep arguing? Yeah. Right. Mm. And, and, and I think the point is there was a conviction in his heart mm. and he walks away yeah. with a shifted paradigm. Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 wait yeah. a minute. I don't have it together the way I thought I had it together. My right. paradigm's wrong. Yes. Right. I thought being rich was a sign of blessing, was a yeah. sign of this, you know, I mean, Nicodemus, there's yeah. another one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. comes to Jesus at night because he's scared of, you know, what other people say, <laughs> yeah, yeah. has this weird conversation with you. I mean, there's so many yeah. instances in scripture where, yeah, Jesus's words, they don't, they don't, they don't make, especially the elite people, <laughs> you know, walk away feeling good. Right? Yeah, yeah. If you're in power and you have wherewithal and things like that, yeah. it's going to be a bit of a challenge yeah, because... Yeah. Uh, he's calling you to let go of the things that make you feel secure and safe mm-hmm. in your mm-hmm. environment. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's not so much that he's saying, you know, you can't have these things. He's right, saying, right. what's going on in your heart yeah, that yeah. you don't trust God yeah, more than yeah. you trust the things right, 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 that right, right. you feel give you safety, yeah. power, prestige, things mm-hmm. like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. But I think for us, you know, when, when, when it does get to the point of saying, recognizing this is God speaking, this is God in flesh here uh, giving us insight into his heart, into his mind, into his kingdom. Like, we say, can't, we don't, the, the, the idea of a kingdom is kind of foreign to us anyways. But like talking about this, my structure looks a certain way. And when you ask about it, I'm going to tell you about it. And usually after asking, we are, we are all like, oh, geez, wait, I'm, what? Yeah. I'm yeah. kind of upset that I asked the question now. <laughs> at, at, at least maybe we should be, right? right. If we're not. Yeah. 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 Well, that's the thing. The words of Jesus, the red letters, at some point, if we are honest and actually listen to what he's saying mm. and receive it with some humility, you know, yeah. it's going to challenge your paradigm. It's going to challenge the way you view life. And I think that forces us to ask the question, are we willing to actually read them for what they are? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, If you are taking notes today, I actually titled my message today. I don't title a lot of my messages, but today I'm calling it Disrupted Paradigms. So if you're taking notes, you can write that down. Disrupted Paradigms. Uh, paradigms. When you work through the words of Jesus, uh, one of the most common byproducts of him speaking is is having your paradigm disrupted. Uh, now, to have your paradigm disrupted, you have to understand that you actually have a paradigm. This could be a, a worldview. It could be an approach to life, an assumption about how things work. Uh, and it seemed like no matter who Jesus was talking to, this happened. The, it, he He continually made people think about their paradigms and the way they thought about life and the way they thought about the way the world works. And so my question for us today as as we're working through today's message is this, are we allowed Jesus's words to impact our paradigm? 
Are, are we allowing his words to impact our paradigms? In 1962, a man by the name of Thomas Kuhn released a book titled The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. Anybody read that? Okay, neither have I. Uh, either way, this book transformed the philosophy of science and changed the way that many scientists think about uh, and, and go about their work. Uh, now, this book ended up being widely read and actually seeped into popular culture. And one measure of this influence is uh, the widespread use of the term paradigm shift. That was the first time that that had been talked about. And he introduced basically his views about how science changes over time and how science needs to change their paradigm. And, you know, throughout the years, you can see that as, you know, the sun doesn't revolve around us, right? We revolve around the sun. And, and because of these paradigm shifts, we now open up a wider range of knowledge and ways that we can test things and work through things. Um, and so he, thanks to this book, coined the phrase paradigm shift. And basically this means an important change that happens when the usual way of thinking about something is replaced by a new or different way. One, one definition that I liked is this, paradigm shift is this, a revolutionary and dramatic change in assumptions. And when we look at the words of Jesus, I feel like this is what happens. When he speaks, when he's talking, there is a change in paradigm. He affects the way we think about life, the way we think about relationships, about morals and ethics, about how the world works. He's challenging our assumptions, and he's causing us to work through that. If you were here last week, one of the slides that we used was this. Jesus is calling us to humility. And I feel like when we are talking about our paradigms, we're talking about our assumptions and the ways that we think about life, if we're going to engage the words of Jesus, humility has to be a component. We have to come with the humility knowing that I think a certain way. Right? I, I come into life thinking about things in a certain way. And, and really, am I going to allow the words of Jesus to impact that? And to do that, we need humility. You may need some shifted paradigms. One place that this really stands out to me is in the Sermon on the Mount. If, if you're familiar with Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is on the side of a mountain, side of a hill, and he's talking to a large group of people. And you see uh, a couple chapters worth of just Jesus talking about stuff. How, you know, how to go about things. This is how, what I think about this. And he uses a phrase about six or seven times in chapter five that I think is, uh, really makes this point. He says, you have heard that it was said. You've heard that it was said. And then he goes on to say something that you've commonly known to be true. Or, or say, it has been said. And he'll say something. And he continues to talk through that but at the end, he follows with something. So he goes, you've heard that it was said, blah, blah, blah. But I say, but I tell you. And then he continues. And I want to look at three different of these, these sections where he says, you have heard that it was said this, but I say this. And the first one starts, Matthew 25, Matthew 5, verse 21 and 22. It says this, you've heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. It's a good, probably a good thing, right? And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, 
Everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. Hellfire and brimstone today at press. But you can put that back up. That's what it says. Am I reading that? I'm reading that right. Wow. Anybody ever called somebody a fool? It's like, yep, just did it this week. Did it on the way to, did it on the way to church. There's someone driving in front of me, and I said it. I actually said something worse, right? You've heard it said, don't murder. Okay, we can all agree. That's like, but I say, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister is subject to judgment. Okay. I like the first part, yeah. The second part, I don't like that much. All right, let's move on. Matthew 5, 27 and 28. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Here it is. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So right off the bat, we're about, I don't know, 10 minutes in. I'm subject to hellfire, and I've committed adultery. How's everybody else doing? Your, pastor, your pastor's like got two strikes against him already. Again, we see this like, all right, committing adultery, that's a bad thing, we can agree, that's not good. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery in his heart. Man, he couldn't, he couldn't mean that though, right? Like that, that's, he couldn't mean that. Let's look at the next passage. Matthew 5, 43 and 44. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What are the, some of the things that you think through when you're reading these? Where does your mind go? Is it like guilt? Is it like, oh, Crap, I'm in trouble. You know, like, what, what, where, where does your mind go? You could say, oh, well, he's only reading a few verses. I'm sure Jesus didn't really say it like that. He's probably taking it out of context, and, you know, Jesus didn't actually mean that. You could be like the person, oh, this isn't good for me. Like, I'm in trouble. Like, all right, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that. This is not looking good for me. You know, you feel guilty. You feel bad about yourself. You could also be one of those people who be like, I told you, I told you you were wrong. You see, this says here, you said that bad word. You're, yep, you're, you're in danger of hell. Hitting people over the head with the Bible. Yeah, you ever had anybody like that? It's right there. It's what it says. What do you do with that? We continue to see Jesus challenging paradigms. And in particular, we see a lot of paradigm shifts in terms of traditional moral and ethical standards. As I was preparing for this week, I was reading through a book called The Method and Method of Jesus' Teaching, and in one particular chapter I found really interesting was all about the ethics of the kingdom, is what it was called, the ethics of the kingdom. So the ethics of Jesus is the, the way he's setting up things. And I'm, I want to read a few ex excerpts from this chapter. I wish you could just read the chapter because it is 
it's phenomenal. It's, it's amazing. And it, it talks through the tension of Jesus' words when it comes specifically to morals and ethics. But one, one thing in particular he said, this is in this chapter, the ethics of the kingdom. He says this, as one investigates the ethical teachings of Jesus, it quickly becomes evident that any attempt to arrange them in a simple, neat system encounters numerous problems. One such problem is that Jesus never propounded an organized ethical system. When you look through Jesus' words, there's times where he says something. It has to do with ethics or how to live your life. But it wasn't like he said, all right, everybody, come here. We're going to go through all the lists of things that you have to do. And this is the correct way of doing it. So I, everybody, come, everybody come together. He never did that. Even the Sermon on the Mount is probably the most extensive. And what's interesting about that is the Sermon on the Mount probably wasn't all done in one sitting. It was probably the fact that all those things were put together over the life of Jesus and some of the different things that he's taught. Because if you look in other Gospels, you'll see almost verbatim sections that don't include some of the other sections. And so we don't have this one nice, neat, like, hey, this is how to live a good Christian life. We, we just don't, we don't see it. And so it's like, what, what do you do with that? We've talked about this before. We as humans, like, we like the, the tell me what to do, right? Tell, tell me how I'm supposed to do it. Tell me the right way. Give me the, you know, the, the quick fix. Like, all right, let me know if I'm doing the right thing and let me know if I'm doing the wrong thing. And yet, in Jesus' words, it's, it's like he doesn't quite give us that. He doesn't quite give us all the information we want. Usually, he asks a question back to you and makes you work through it and makes you work through your heart, makes you work through your, your aspirations and your motivations. We want that structure. We want that security. And yet, Jesus doesn't give us that. And what's worse is not only does he not give us that full, complete list, he seems to contradict himself sometimes. He, he says this over here to this person, and then he, you know, we talked about last week, be perfect as I am perfect. Be complete as I am complete. And yet you defended the prostitute. You you're eating with the tax collectors and these sinners. And what do I, what do, I do with that? Because I take pride in the fact that I do it right. I, I, do, I, I follow the rules. I do everything right. And wait, you know, I'm the good Pharisee who's doing it right. And yet you're calling me a snake or something. Like, what? what? And yet this sinner who's like obviously doing it wrong, you have like mercy and grace for them? Like, what, what's going on with that? Stein, in his book, he, he, he mentions this very thing. He says this. He says, Yet we find in all this a strange paradox, for although Jesus demanded a higher ethic than his contemporaries, right? Looking through. He's, he's, he's higher. He's, he's asking more than what we had even thought we needed to do. He nevertheless opened the kingdom of God to tax collectors and sinners. And for centuries, people have been working through the words of Jesus. They've been working through, what, what does all this mean? They've baffled both the religious and the non-religious alike. They've challenged our paradigms. They've given dignity to the weak and humbled those in power. 
They've given hope to those without hope. And when it comes down to it, when we really look at it, he's asking more of us than what I can give. He just is. I, I can't. I can't do that. He goes beyond. I, I think I'm good. I think I have it together. Yep. They didn't cheat on my wife. Oh, did I look lustfully? Ouch. Got me. Did I lie? Got me. Did I speak unkindly to somebody? Got me. Did I not love my neighbor or pray for my enemy? Got me. Was I perfect? Nope. In my whole? Nope. And so you can sit here and be like, oh, well, this is a really terrible message. I feel terrible about myself now. This, this is awful. And it does, it, and on one sense, as Stein said, it's like he, he seemingly is demanding this higher ethic than we can do. What do we do with that? In Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, he says this, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Talk about a paradigm shift, right? Whoever finds will lose. That doesn't seem to add up. Any scientific people here? Does that add up? Like, does that find and, find and lose? I feel like they're opposites. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Talk about disrupted paradigms. That's not how I think of things. When I'm in control, when I have my bank account a certain amount, when I have the job that I want, and the spouse that I want, in the neighborhood that I want, with my kids at this school, then I found it. And that's how we think. That's comfortable. That feels good. It feels like I'm in control. And yet here, Jesus is saying, whoever loses their life for my sake We'll find it. What do I do about this? What hope do we have? Because now at this point, it's like, well, you know what? We can't do it. We might as well just enjoy this life and say, well, whatever. God's in control. I guess we'll figure it out somehow. No, I don't think that's what Jesus is wanting. I don't think that's the point of why he's saying this stuff. I truly believe that when Jesus says these things, he, he, exact, he means what he's saying. I don't want to go and be like, no, he doesn't mean that. But what he's doing is he's setting a standard. He's setting the standard. In my kingdom, this is what it looks like. Can you imagine? It, it, you know, you think about this, and it feels a little guilty because we know that we do these things. But think about if we actually lived out that, that way. If, you're, if, if you were an enemy to somebody and they actually prayed for you, how would that feel? What if we were on the receiving end of these things? That you weren't looked at lustfully. that you weren't called a fool, that you weren't made fun of, that you were accepted, that you were prayed for. What if, what if we live that way? 
Because when we think about just in our terms, like, man, I can't do that. But when we think about receiving something like that, it's like, wow, that's, that's nice. That feels good. It's, really, it's, it's, it's beautiful in a way. And yet that's what Jesus is saying. I, I have this standard, this, this perfection that reflects my love and my grace and my mercy and, and what, what my kingdom actually looks like. And I'm asking you as followers of me to reflect that in your world today to see elements of me in your world today. So that is the challenge, right? That, that is put before us that this is an expectation, but there's one really cool thing about it. He knows we can't do it on our, on our own. He knows that. God's not dumb, right? <laughs> he knows we can't be perfect. He knows we're gonna screw up and fall short. And this is the beauty of the gospel, right? The gospel is that I can't on my own. I can't do it on my own. And there's some of us that maybe that like feels sad. To me, it's like, that's freeing. That's like, oh, thank you, Jesus. That's freeing. I can live my life not being afraid of messing up. I can live my life with this freedom of knowing that, that I have a God that loves me loves me. Not in a transactional way, but just a God that loves me. Press Church, we want to help people embrace their identity in Christ. Your identity is you have a God that loves you and died for you. And yes, he's calling you to something crazy, but he's also there saying, take my hand. I've got you. And that's beautiful. And it's amazing. And it's free. You don't have to do anything. I'm not sure if you knew that. You don't have to earn it. Talk about disruptive paradigms. We are in a transactional society. I give, I get. I give, I get. That's how we, that's just how we work. That's, that's how I, you know, if somebody comes up to you with something free, you're like, what's the catch? You don't take it. You ever notice that? There's like people who won't take something free because they're like, something's gonna, they're gonna want something. We, we all know that. It's like, hey, come to this seminar. It's a free seminar. Wink, wink. You're gonna have to listen to like 10 hours of sales pitches, but it's free. There's always a catch, right? It's built into the way we live our lives. There's a catch somewhere. It's not free. There's some sort of transaction there. And Jesus is breaking every single paradigm saying, it's actually free. And we're like, I don't know what to do with that. Let's be, let's be really religious and make ourselves look, look like we're doing the right thing all the time. Okay, we're doing the right thing. Look at me, Jesus. I'm good. And he's like, Pharisee. You're a whitewashed tomb. Clean out your inside. Stop trying to look perfect. If you're perfect on your own, the cross means nothing. You want to spit in the face of God? Say the cross means nothing. Yeah, sure, try to do it on your own. Jesus died and rose again for a purpose. He knew we needed it. He knew we needed his grace. Last verse of the day, John chapter 6, verse 20 and 29. 
Then they asked him, what must, me, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. He didn't go through the Sermon on the Mount again. He didn't talk about being perfect. Didn't even talk about loving your neighbor yet. Believe in the one he has sent. This is the gospel. The ultimate paradigm shift. I can't save myself. I can't do enough. I can't be right enough. I must lose my life to save it. And in doing that, we are putting our faith in someone greater than ourselves. That's following Jesus. If you've never made that decision before, that's following Jesus. It's acknowledging the fact that I need a savior. God, I repent. I'm not perfect. I've done some things I'm not proud of. I need something greater than me. It's that. Believe in the one he has sent. I was listening to a sermon on the way home. Uh, we went to North Carolina over break. I was listening to a sermon, um, a guy named Sean McDowell, got some really good stuff. Um, does a lot of apologetics, if you're into that sort of thing. And he did a sermon called First Things First, and he's talking about how when we, don't, when we put secondary things first, we lose both the secondary things and the first things. But when you put first things first, you get both the first things and the secondary things. But he's talking about how in faith, in our, in our, in our life, following Jesus, we, we put these second things first. And then we, we miss the first thing, which is, again, this, this, this gospel piece. And it was so interesting. He was talking about a, a youth pastor that he, he was talking to from a church he was visiting, and that, and that youth pastor was stepping away from the faith. And the pastor was like, I really want you to talk to this guy. And so he's like, all right. And so he took him out to lunch. And he, he asked him the question. He said the lunch was, felt kind of weird. He's like, they got through the whole lunch, and he felt like he wasn't really getting through to the guy, and it felt really weird. So he just asked him a simple question. And it was something along the lines of this. It was, when was that moment that you recognized that you, you needed a Savior? That you, you, you needed a Savior? And, and the guy stopped for a second, and he said... I didn't become a Christian to be saved from my sins or, he said, I became a Christian because I thought Jesus was going to fix my problems. How many of us are following Jesus just looking for a genie to fix our problems? For somebody to help us get that promotion or fix our relationships? And I'm not saying Jesus can't do those things. I'm not saying God can't change your life for the better or, or work in your lives, but, but that's a secondary thing. The first thing is this. Jesus is calling me to lose my life and give it to him and put my trust in him. And so, yes, the words of Jesus are harder and, and, and bigger than what we can do. Dylan, you can come up. They're beyond us. And he knows the only way for us to attain this is through his grace in our lives. Will we look to Jesus to set our paradigms? Will we humble ourselves and admit that we need Jesus' paradigm?
So wherever you are today, I, I pray that as we look at the words of Jesus, we will allow them to shape our lives, shape the way we think about things, but that ultimately they would lead us to Jesus and that we need something from him that we can't do on our own. That is my prayer for us today. And as we do communion together, I think what, what better Sunday to do communion than after talking about these words. There's an acknowledgement and a celebration in communion in, in the elements and seeing this represents the body and the blood of Jesus. Sacrifice he made for us to have right relationship with him to have eternal life through him, to have hope through him, to have grace through him, through him, through him, through him. And we're actually doing uh, communion a little differently today. If you are watching online, uh, feel free to grab some bread uh, and juice or wine or whatever you have uh, to do communion with us. But uh, this is the first time since COVID we're gonna actually have people get up and get the elements. Uh, we have both the prepackaged and we also have the unpackaged, just regular communion, I guess. So if you are a little nervous about germs still, by all means, grab prepackaged. If you would like to grab uh, a cracker and the cup, it is there. And I'm gonna release this after I pray. You will just do that on your own. There's two tables set up in the back uh, and we just invite you to do that in your own time. And as, as we continue in this time of worship, thinking through and really taking to heart what the elements mean to you, to us. The sacrifice, the hope, the grace, the love that is represented in those elements. So I'm gonna pray and then after I pray, I'll just miss you to get um, the communion. So let's bow our heads and pray. God, we thank you for your words. We thank you for the things that we can learn from your words. And even though they are challenging and they're hard, and sometimes they don't make full sense to us, God, we ultimately understand that you are calling us to yourself. You are calling us to lay down our pride. You are calling us to humility, and you're calling us to trust in you. And you're calling us to trust, not trust in our own abilities and what we can us to trust in you. And I pray that for all of us here in this room today, if there are people who have not put their faith in you, God, I pray that I invite them now, and we invite that we would put our faith in you, that we would, we would admit, God, that you are our Savior, that you died and you rose again. I thank you for the cross, for what it means to us. I thank you that I don't have to be perfect, that because of your blood, because of your sacrifice, I am made perfect. And we celebrate that together. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, so at this time, I invite you to stand and please help yourself to the elements uh, in the back. And you can take those elements as you would like as we finish this, this last song together.